This is Chapter Eighteen of Puddenhead Wilson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. The Tragedy of Puddenhead Wilson by Mark Twain. Chapter Eighteen Roxana Commands. Gratitude and treachery are merely the two extremities of the same procession. You have seen all of it that is worth staying for when the band and the gaudy officials have gone by. Puddenhead Wilson's Calendar. Thanksgiving Day. Let us all give humble, hearty, and sincere thanks now, but the turkeys. In the island of Fiji they do not use turkeys, they use plumbers. It does not become you and me to sneer at Fiji. Puddenhead Wilson's Calendar. The Friday after the election was a rainy one in St. Louis. It rained all day long, and rained hard, apparently trying its best to wash that soot-blackened town white, but of course not succeeding. Toward midnight Tom Driscoll arrived at his lodgings from the theater in the heavy downpour, and closed his umbrella and let himself in. But when he would have shut the door, he found that there was another person entering, doubtless another lodger. This person closed the door and tramped upstairs behind Tom. Tom found his door in the dark and entered it, and turned up the gas. When he faced about, lightly whistling, he saw the back of a man. The man was closing and locking his door from him. His whistle faded out, and he felt uneasy. The man turned around, a wreck of shabby old clothes, sodden with rain and all a drip and showed a black face under an old slouch hat. Tom was frightened. He tried to order the man out, but the words refused to come, and the other man got the start. He said in a low voice, "'Kate, still, as your mother!' Tom sunk in a heap on a chair and gasped out. "'It was mean of me and base, I know it, but I meant it for the best. I did indeed. I can swear it.' Roxana stood a while, looking mutely down on him while he writhed in shame, and went on incoherently babbling self-accusations mixed with pitiful attempts at explanation and palliation of his crime. Then she seated herself and took off her hat, and her unkept masses of long brown hair tumbled down about her shoulders. "'It weren't no fault of yourn that that ain't gray,' she said sadly, noticing the hair. I know it, I, I know it, I, I'm a scoundrel, but I swear I meant it for the best. It was a mistake, of course, but I thought it was for the best, I truly did. Roxana began to cry softly, and presently words began to find their way out between her sobs. They were uttered lamentingly, rather than angrily. Sell a person down the river, down the river, for the best. I wouldn't treat a dog so. I is all broke down and wore out now, and so I reckon it ain't in me to storm round no more, like I used to when I was trampled and abused. I don't know, but maybe it's so. Leastwise, I suffered so much that mourning seemed to come more handy to me now than storming. These words should have touched Tom Driscoll, but if they did, that effect was obliterated by a stronger one one which removed the heavy weight of fear which lay upon him, and gave his crushed spirit a most grateful rebound, and filled all his small soul with a deep sense of relief. But he kept prudently still, and ventured no comment. 
There was a voiceless interval of some duration now, in which no sounds were heard but the beating of the rain upon the panes, the sighing and complaining of the winds, and now and then a muffled sob from Roxana. The sobs became more and more infrequent, and at last ceased. Then the refugee began to talk again. "'Shit down dat light a little. More, uh, more yet. Person dat is hunted don't like de light. Dad, that, that'll do. I can see where you is, and that's enough. I's gwine to tell you de tale, and cut it just as short as I can, and, and then I'll, I'll tell you what you's got to do. That man that bought me ain't a bad man. He's good enough, as planters go. And if he could a had his way, I'd a been a house-servant in his family and been comfortable. But his wife was a yank and not right down good-looking, and she rise up agin me straight off. So then they sent me out to the quarters amongst the common field hands. That woman weren't satisfied even with that, but she worked up the overseer agin me, and she is that jealous and hateful. So the overseer, he had me out before day in the mornings, and worked me the whole long day as long as there's any light to see by, and many's the lashings I got, cause I couldn't come up to the work of the strongest. That overseer was a yank, too, out in New England, and anybody down south can tell you what that mean. Day knows how to work a nigger to death, and day knows how to whale em, too. Whale em till day's backs is welted like a washboard. <laughs> Long at first, my master said a good word for me to the overseer, but that is bad for me, for the mistress she find it out, and out of that I just <laughs> catched it at every turn. Uh, they weren't no mercy for me no more. Tom's heart was fired with fury against the planter's wife, and he said to himself, But for that meddlesome fool everything would have gone all right. He added a deep and bitter curse against her. The expression of this sentiment was fiercely written in his face, and stood thus revealed to Roxana by a white glare of lightning which turned the sombre dusk of the room into dazzling day at that moment. She was pleased, pleased and grateful, for did not that expression show that her child was capable of grieving for his mother's wrongs, and of feeling resentment toward her persecutors, a thing which she had been doubting? But her flash of happiness was only a flash, and went out again, and left her spirit dark, for she said to herself, "'He sold me down to ribber. He can't feel for a body long, and this'll pass and go.' Then she took up her tale again. About ten days ago I was saying to myself that I couldn't last many more weeks. I was so wore out with the awful work and the lashings, and so downhearted and miserable, and I didn't care no more another. Life weren't worth nothing to me if I had to go on like that. Well, when a body is in a frame of mind like that, what do a body care what a body do? There was a little sickly nigger wench about ten year old that's good to me and had no mammy, poor thing. And I loved her, and she loved me, and she come out while I was a-workin', and she had a roasted tater, and tried to slip it to me, robbin' herself, you see, cause she knowed the overseer didn't give me enough to eat. And he catched her at it, and give her a lick across the back with this stick, which is as thick as a broom-handle, and she dropped, screamin' on the ground, and squirmin' and wallin' around in the dust like a spider that's got crippled. I couldn't stand it. All the hell-fire does ever in my heart flame up, and I snatched the stick out in his hand and laid him flat. 
he laid de moanin and cussin and all out of his head you know and, and de niggers is plumb scared to death and they gathered round him to help him and i jumped on his hoss and took out for de river as tight as i could go i knowed what they would do with me soon as he got well he would start in and work me to death if massa let him and if they didn't do dat they'd sell me further down de river and that's the same thing so i lowed to drown myself and get out of my troubles it is gettin' toward dark i is at the river in two minutes then i see a canoe and i says dey ain't no use to drown myself till i got to so i ties de hose in the edge of de timber and shove out down the river keepin' in under the shelter of de bluff bank and prayin' for de dark to shut down quick i had a powerful good start cause de big house is three mile back from the river and and only de work mule to ride down and only de niggers ride em and dey weren't gwine to hurry and dey'd give me all de chance dey could before a body could go to de house and back it would be long past dark and dey couldn't track de horse and find out which way i went till mornin and de niggers would tell em all de lies they could bout it well de dark come and i went on a spinnin down de river i paddled more'n two hours then i warn't worried no more so i quit paddlin and floated down the current considering what i was gwine to do if i didn't have to drown myself i made up some plans and floated along turnin em over in my mind well when it was a little past midnight as i reckoned and i had come fifteen or twenty mile i see the lights of a steamboat layin at the bank why they warn't no town and no woodyard and pretty soon i catch the shape of the chimbley tops again the stars and then good gracious me i most jumped out of my skin for joy it is de grand mogul i was chambermaid on her for eight seasons in the cincinnati and orleans trade i slid long past don't see nobody stirrin nowhere hear em a hammerin away in the engine-room den i knowed what de matter was some of de machinery's broke i got ashore below de boat and turned de canoe loose den i goes long up and dey is just one plank out I stepped board the boat. It is powerful hot. Deckhands and roustabouts is sprawled round asleep on the forecastle. The second mate, Jim Bangs, he sot down the bits with his head down asleep, cause that's the way the second mate stand the captain's watch. And the old watchman, Billy Hatch, he is a noddin' on the companionway, and I knowed em all. And land, but they did look good. I says to myself, I wished old master'd come along now and try to take me, bless your heart, I's among friends, I is. So I tromped right along amongst em, and went up on de biler deck, and way back aft to the ladies' cabin guard, and sot down there in the same cheer that I'd sot in most a hundred million times, I reckon. And it is just home again, I tell you. In about an hour I heard the ready bell jingle, and den de racket begin. Pretty soon I heard de gong strike set her back on the outside i says to myself i reckon i knows dat music i heard de gong again come ahead on the inside i says gong again stop the outside gong again come ahead on the outside now's we pinted for st louis and and i's otter de woods and, and ain't got to drown myself at all i knowed the mogul is in the st louis trade now you see and it is just fair daylight when we passed our plantation and i seen de gang of niggers and white folks huntin up and down de show and troublin theyselves a good deal bout me but i warn't troublin myself none about dem bout dat time sally jackson that used to be my second chambermaid and is head chambermaid now she come out on the guard 
and is powerful glad to see me, and so is all the officers. And I told em I'd got kidnapped and sold down the river, and they made up twenty dollars and give it to me, and Sally she rigged me out with good clothes, and when I got here I went straight to where you used to was, and then I come to this house, and they say you's away, but spected back every day. So I didn't dast go down the river to Dawson's, cause I, I might miss you. Well, last Monday I was passin' by one of them places in Fourth Street where the sticks up runway nigger bills and helps to catch em, and I seed my master. I most flopped down on the ground, I felt so gone. He had his back to me and was talkin' to a man and givin' him some bills, nigger bills, I reckon, and I's de nigger. He's offerin' a reward, that's it. Ain't I right? Don't you reckon? Tom had been gradually sinking into a state of ghastly terror, and he said to himself, Now, I'm lost no matter what turn things take. This man has said to me that he thinks there was something suspicious about that sale. He said he had a letter from a passenger on the Grand Mogul saying that Roxy came here on that boat, and that everybody on board knew all about the case. So he says that her coming here instead of flying to a free state looks bad for me, and that if I don't find her for him, and that pretty soon, he will make trouble for me. I never believed that story. I couldn't believe she would be so dead to all motherly instincts as to come here, knowing the risk she would run of getting me into irremediable trouble. And after all, here she is. And I stupidly swore I would help find her, thinking it was a perfectly safe thing to promise. If I venture to deliver her up, she—she—but how can I help myself? I've got to do that or pay the money, and where's the money to come from? I—well, I, I, I should think that if he would swear to treat her kindly hereafter, and she says herself that he is a good man, and if he would swear to never allow her to be overworked, or ill-fed, or—a flash of lightning exposed Tom's pallid face, drawn and rigid with these worrying thoughts. Roxana spoke up sharply now, and there was apprehension in her voice. "'Turn up that light!' I want to see your face better. There, now, l let me look at you. Chambers, you's as white as your shirt. Has you see that man? Has he been to see you? Y yes. When? M Monday noon. Monday noon? Was he on my track? He—well, he thought he was. That is, he hoped he was. This is the bill you saw. He took it out of his pocket. Read it to me. She was panting with excitement, and there was a dusky glow in her eyes that Tom could not translate with certainty, but there seemed to be something threatening about it. The handbill had the usual rude woodcut of a turbaned negro woman running, with a customary bundle on a stick over her shoulder, and the heading in the bold type, One Hundred Dollars Reward. Tom read the bill aloud, at least the part that described Roxana, and named the master and his St. Louis address, and the address of the Fourth Street Agency, but he left out the item that applicants for the reward might also apply to Mr. Thomas Driscoll. "'Give me the bill.' Tom had folded it, and was putting it in his pocket. He felt a chilly streak creeping down his back, but said as carelessly as he could, "'The bill? Why, it isn't any use to you. You can't read it. What do you want with it?' "'Give me the bill.' Tom gave it to her but with a reluctance which he could not entirely disguise. "'Did you read it all to me?' "'Certainly I did.' "'Hold up your hand and swear to it.' Tom did it. Roxana put the bill carefully away in her pocket, with her eyes fixed upon Tom's face all the while. Then she said, 
Yo's lying. What would I want to lie about it for? I don't know, but you is. That's my opinion, anyways. But never mind about that. When I see that man, I's that scared that I could scarcely wobble home. Then I give a nigger man a dollar for these clothes, and I ain't been in a house since, night nor day, till now. I blackened my face and laid hid in the cellar of a old house that burned down daytimes, and robbed a sugar hogshead and grain sacks on the wharf nights to get something to eat. Never das to try to buy nothing, and I's most starved. I never das to come near dis place till dis rainy night, when dey ain't no people round scarcely. But to-night I've been a-standin' in a dark alley ever since night come, waitin' for you to come by, and here I is." She fell to thinking. Presently she said, "'You see dat man at noon last Monday?' "'Yes.' "'I seed him the middle of dat afternoon. He hunted you up, didn't he?' "'Yes.' "'Did he give you the bill that time?' "'No, he hadn't got it printed yet.' Roxana darted a suspicious glance at him. "'Did you help him fix up the bill?' Tom cursed himself for making that stupid blunder, and tried to rectify it by saying he remembered now that it was at noon Monday that the man gave him the bill. Roxana said, "'You's lying again, sure.' Then she straightened up and raised her finger. "'Now, then, I's going to ask you a question, and I wants to know how you's going to get around it. You knowed he is out of me, and if you run off stid of staying here to help him, He'd know there's something wrong about this business, and then he would inquire about you, and that would take him to your uncle, and your uncle would read the bill and see that you've been selling a free nigger down the river, and you know him, I reckon. He'd tar up the will and kick you out in the house. Now then, you answer me this question. Hain't you told that man that I would be sure to come here, and then you would fix it so he could set a trap and catch me? Tom recognized that neither lies nor arguments could help him any longer. He was in a vice, with the screw turned on, and out of it there was no budging. His face began to take on an ugly look, and presently he said, with a snarl, "'Well, what could I do? You see yourself that I was in his grip and couldn't get out.' Roxy scorched him with a scornful gaze a while, then she said, "'What could you do?' You could be Judas to your own mother to save your worthless hide. Would anybody believe it? No, a dog couldn't. You is the low-downest, orneriest hound that was e'er pupped into this world, and I is responsible for it. And she spat on him. He made no effort to resent it. Roxy reflected a moment. Then she said, Now, I'll tell you what you's going to do. You's going to give that man the money that you's got laid up, and make him wait till you can go to judge and get the rest and buy me free again. Thunder, what are you thinking of? Go and ask him for three hundred dollars and odd? Uh, what would I tell him I want it for, pray? Roxy's answer was delivered in a serene and level voice. You tell him you sold me to pay your gambling debts and that you lied to me and was a villain, and that I acquires you to get that money and buy me back again. Why, you've gone stark mad. He would tear the will to shreds in a minute. Don't you know that? Yes, I does. Then you don't believe I'm idiot enough to go to him, do you? I don't believe nothing about it. I knows you's a-goin'. I knows it, cause you knows that if you don't raise dat money, I'll go to him myself. And then he'll sell you down the river. 
and you can see how you like it. Tom rose, trembling and excited, and there was an evil light in his eye. He strode to the door and said he must go out of this suffocating place for a moment and clear his brain in the fresh air so he could determine what to do. The door wouldn't open. Roxy smiled grimly and said, "'I's got the key, honey. Set down. You needn't clear up your brain none to find out what you're going to do. I knows what you's going to do.' Tom sat down and began to pass his hands through his hair with a helpless and desperate air. Roxy said, "'Is that man in dis house?' Tom glanced up with a surprised expression and asked, "'What gave you such an idea?' "'You done it. Gwine out to clear your brain. And the first place you ain't got none to clear. And in the second place, you ornery I told on you. Used to load down as hounded ever, but I done told you dat before. Now den, this is Friday. You can fix it up with dat man, and tell him you's gwine away to get the rest of the money.' that you'll be back with it next Tuesday, or maybe Wednesday, you understand?" Tom answered sullenly, Yes. And when you gets the new bill of sale that sells me to my own self, take and send it in the mail to Mr. Puddin'head Wilson, and write on the back that he's to keep it till I come. You understand? Yes. That's all, then. Take your umbrella and put on your hat. Why? Cause you's gwine to see me home to the wharf. You see this knife? I's toted around since the day I seed dat man and bought these clothes in it. If he catch me, I's going to kill myself with it. Now start along and go soft and lead away. And if you gives a sign in this house or if anybody comes up to you in the street, I's going to jam it right into you. Chambers, does you believe when I says that? It's no use to bother me with that question. I know your word's good. Yes, it's different from yon. Shit the light on and move along. Here's the key. They were not followed. Tom trembled every time a late straggler brushed by them on the street, and half expected to feel the cold steel in his back. Roxy was right at his heels and always in reach. After tramping a mile they reached a wide vacancy on the deserted wharfs, and in this dark and rainy desert they parted. As Tom trudged home his mind was full of dreary thoughts and wild plans, but at last he said to himself wearily, "'There is but the one way out.' I must follow her plan. But with a variation. I will not ask for the money and ruin myself. I will rob the old skinflint. End of chapter 18